Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Easter to you. You've been a long time coming this year, it feels like, but uh, we're finally here and glad you can be part of it. Whether you're joining us from Wilmington or Watertown or East Lexington or any of our venues here on the Lexington campus, we're just glad you're here and hope that you feel welcome. Big weekend in Boston, right? Easter Sunday, Patriots Day, Marathon Monday, sun is out, doesn't get much better than that in New England, right? All right. So I'm just, just wondering, any marathon runners here this morning? Okay, there we go. Come on, where, let's, let's give it up for them. All right, way to go. There we go. Actually, I actually see a marathon, marathon survivor with us this morning from last year, so we're grateful for that. I'll actually be running with you tomorrow, my first time, and I'm really excited about that, so looking forward to it. One of... Uh, one of the coaching websites I've been uh, looking at says that the best thing to do the day before the race is to take it easy, relax, and stay off your feet. <laughs> That's not working too well for me. But I may be singing God resurrect these bones somewhere <laughs> along the way tomorrow. But great weekend. We're just glad you're here, whether you're in town for a special event or with some friends or a regular here. Glad you're part of it. Uh, let me ask you to use your imagination a little bit as we get started this morning. Imagine walking into a Home Depot store and asking a sales associate where you might find ladies' accessories. Now, you're liable to get a strange look. They might show you a nice tool belt, but that's probably not what you had in mind. Imagine pulling into a Jiffy Lube and asking the mechanic for some advice on your 401k. Again, strange look. He'll happily tell you how to spend some of your money, but he probably won't help you invest it. Imagine walking into the Apple store and asking for an Android phone. <laughs> They'll throw you out. Imagine wandering Boston's North End in search of a burrito. <laughs> or Yawkey Way looking for a Jeter jersey. You get the idea. If you're looking for something, you want to be looking in the right place. Well, now imagine this walking through a graveyard, looking for signs of life. As crazy as that sounds, that's what we find people doing on the third day after Jesus died. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke this morning for a few moments. We'll be in chapter 24. Listen to the first couple of verses. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So here come these women, followers of Jesus, doing what people do after someone's been buried. They visit the grave. Remember, Jesus had been buried in haste on Friday because Sabbath was coming. So first light on the third day, on Sunday morning, the women came out to finish what was started. They wanted to add some more spices to the folds of the grave clothes and probably to see his body one last time. But is that really all they were looking for? To see and tend to his earthly remains? Or were they looking for some hope and comfort in the wake of their loss? Were they hoping to gain some sense of meaning purpose out of all the tragic events of those days. 
Were they hoping to be reminded of all that Jesus stood for and said? Hoping to recapture just a little bit of the joy and the goodness and the beauty they enjoyed when he was alive. They weren't really looking for a corpse that morning, were they? No, they were looking for signs of life. The life they had tasted in their short time with Jesus. What are we looking for when we visit a gravesite? Uh, we go to those places because someone we knew and loved, their, their earthly remains are laid to rest there. But we don't really go there to, to contemplate their remains, do we? No, we go there to remember their smile and their laugh and the way their eyes lit up when we walked into the room. We go to remember the good times that we shared with them, the lessons we learned from them. We go to remind ourselves of who they are and were to us, the mark they've made on our lives. We, we hope to, to somehow get a sense of their continuing presence with us now in this life. As crazy as it sounds, when we go to a graveyard, we're looking for life. And deep in their hearts, that's what these women were looking for that first Easter morning too. But as it turned out, they were looking in the wrong place. Jesus' body wasn't even there. Now imagine how disturbing that must have been. Imagine going to uh, the grave of someone you knew and loved. And you get there and, and the gravestone is gone. There's, there's no sign of anything ever having been there before. What happened? Where are they? You look around. What, what do you do now? That's how disorienting and, and, and disturbing it was to these women. What, what were they supposed to do? How could they go on with no sense of resolution to their loss? And then they noticed two angelic beings there in the tomb with them. We'll pick up the reading in verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Some of us will remember a song from the 80s entitled, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. A country singer named Johnny Lee sang about his search for, through, through nightclubs and singles bars, looking for the love of his life and coming up empty. I'm afraid that's what we all tend to do when we go looking for life. We go off in search of purpose, connection, meaning, strength, but we end up looking in the wrong places. We asked some folks from our congregation to describe some of the ways and places they went looking for life at some earlier point in their lives. Let's listen to just a few of their stories for a moment. I thought I could find life through my own efforts, that if I just made enough improvements on the outside, everything else would fall into place. I had an addiction problem and joined a 12-step recovery program, but after some time I hit a spiritual wall. I found myself consumed by anger and frustration. Relationships disappointed me and I was carrying the burden of resentment and self-hatred. I sought to improve my life through philosophy, therapy, meditation, and self-help books of every kind. But no matter what I tried, I felt powerless over my emotions and over my life. I was lost, frustrated, and isolated. I'd once been a passionate, loving person, but I was beginning to lose hope and believe that guy didn't exist anymore. I spent years looking for life through other people. Growing up with an absent mother and an emotionally unavailable father, 
I thought that if I could just be important to someone, then I would have value. So I looked to others for my worth. When they couldn't give it, I grew angry and resentful and bored. By adulthood, I was a tangled mess of discontent. I didn't like myself or anyone else. I was in a long-term relationship that was an explosive, codependent inferno of emotions. I would lie awake nights tormenting this man with my insults and fall apart and plead with him to comfort me, to fix me. I was aching for fulfillment, but all I could seem to do was live the same broken day on repeat. I went to church early in my life, mainly out of duty. When I went away to college, I became good friends with a couple of Christians who talked to me about God. I knew some things about God, but hadn't quite made a decision I needed him. Instead, I became distracted with college life, pursuing my studies, attending parties, and dating. As I bounced around keeping myself busy, there was a restlessness within me. I came to school to study music performance, but was intimidated by the ability and experience of my peers, and so decided not to audition for a music program. I've always loved music, so this was a huge blow to me. Parties and dating offered temporary moments of excitement and pleasure, but more often than not, I ended up hurting others and hurting myself. By my junior year, I was an emotional wreck. I always thought living a full life meant having as much fun as you could. I was raised in the church, but when I went off to college, I couldn't justify spending an hour every Sunday in a pew. So I partied my way through college, landed a job in Boston, and set out to enjoy my 20s. After a while, my hangovers got longer, and my wallet got emptier, and those fun nights out just didn't seem as much fun as they used to be. I remember thinking, I don't feel fulfilled. To fill that void, I decided I needed a cause, so I became a vegetarian. Then I thought to myself, I wanted to see more of the world, so I began traveling. I had many wonderful experiences, but still, something was missing. So I thought, maybe I need to get more involved, and I joined Big Brothers Big Sisters. I became a role model for and a mentor to a wonderful young girl. But I began to wonder, what do I really know about life? Well, you see what I mean? Looking for life in all the wrong places. This past spring here at Grace, we spent some time looking at the seven deadly sins. This is a collection of vices identified by the early church fathers and handed down through the centuries. Pride, anger, lust, greed, envy, gluttony, sloth. They don't seem all that deadly, perhaps, especially when you compare them to things like murder and adultery and stealing. But what we discovered week by week is that these dark tendencies left unchecked rob us of joy. They ruin our relationships. They wreak havoc in our lives and in society. And what makes them so deadly is that they masquerade as virtues. In other words, they look like life. Let's take pride, for instance. I mean, we, we all know that, that self-worth, self-esteem, I mean, that's important to a person's psychological health and well-being. And so we go off in search of self-worth. And so we try to prove our worth by our performance, academics, sports, music, career, whatever. 
We measure our value by our SATs or our GPA or, or being in the right club, going to the right school, living in the right neighborhood, climbing higher on the ladder, hanging out with the right people. But, but it's never enough, is it? There's always someone with a, with a higher score. There's always someone in a better neighborhood. There's always someone with a cooler car. I thought I was looking pretty hip in my skinny tie this morning, and then Ripper shows up in a bow tie. I mean, <laughs> it just can't keep up. <laughs> There's a popular professional journal for church leaders entitled the Leadership Journal. It's kind of a quarterly collection of profiles and best practices and book reviews. Now, to many of you, it probably sounds about as exciting as reading the phone book, but if you're in the church work, it's a big deal. I remember reading that journal as a young pastor just getting started. I was so impressed with the leaders I was reading about there. Pastors from great churches all, all over the country, including the pastor of this church. I read everything that he wrote at the time. And I remember wondering what it would be like to, to get an article published in the Leadership Journal. I mean, how good would it feel to see my name and my picture there in print? Well, as it happened some years later, I got an article published in Leadership Journal. I remember when the issue came to the house, I tore it open, went to the table of contents, found my article, went right there, flipped all the way to the end of the article to look for my name and picture, and there was no picture. <laughs> Either they didn't get it or decided it was too scary to print. I don't know, but there's no picture, just the name. Then I start flipping through the article, and I realize they've rearranged it. They've edited it. And then I read the article, and it's not nearly as brilliant as I thought it was when I wrote it. In a, in a matter of 15 minutes, I was embarrassed, angry, and disappointed. Something I had worked for for so long, something I thought would make me feel good about myself, left me feeling just disappointed and frustrated. That's the way it is with all of these sins. They masquerade as life but they end up robbing us of the very thing we're looking for. I mean, I mean, consider anger. Anger looks like strength, looks like power, gives us the illusion of control. We are, we're making things right. We're setting people straight. Now, there's a time to be good and angry about certain things, but we all know people who go through life mad, mad, mad at their parents, mad at their ex, mad at men, mad at women, mad at their teacher, their coach, their boss, mad at the government, mad at God. And it feels to them like, like energy, like life. It gives them a reason to get up in the morning. But we know they end up being very unhappy people and not much fun to be around. Bitter, resentful. As someone put it, bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. <laughs> Whoever that rat happens to be. It's deadly. How about lust? Lust looks like love. It looks like passion and pleasure and romance, a racy website, a, 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 a romantic fantasy, a casual flirtation. Something stirs on the inside. Our pulse quickens. Our face flushes. For a moment, we feel like we're alive. We feel like we're loved. But it, it all passes real fast. And we're, we're left feeling disappointed and, and ashamed feeling more empty and alone than ever. 
That's the way it is with these seven seducers. They tempt us to go off chasing good things, but they lead us down dead-end trails. Greed looks like getting what we want, but leaves us never having enough. Envy looks like being better, happier, more successful, and we're not able to be our true selves. Gluttony looks like fullness and fun. Eat, drink, and be merry. We end up feeling sick and sad and out of control. Sloth looks like taking it easy, enjoying life, when all the while, life is passing us by. I mean, you see what I mean? Looking for life in all the wrong places. We heard about all seven of these in these stories a few minutes ago. Why do we do that? Why do we look for the living among the dead? I would suggest it's because we don't know where to look. We've all been following the story of the Malaysian airliner that went down some weeks ago with, without a trace. Countries from all over the world have been using the most sophisticated technology available, and we've not been able to find that plane, not even one piece of debris. Why? Because we don't know where to look. In fact, we feel like we spent the first week looking in the wrong ocean. And for all know, we know we may still be looking in the wrong place. It's incredibly frustrating, not to mention a heartbreaking, for the people who need some kind of resolution. One of the lead, lead searchers was asked why it's taking so long to find this thing. This is what he said. It's not like looking for a needle in a haystack. It's like looking for a needle in a needle factory. He explained there's so much debris out there in the ocean that they can't tell what might be the plane and what isn't. And so they spend all this time and energy and money and human power, and so far we've come up empty. And that's how it is with these sins, these imposters. They look like the real thing. They look like life, but they're dead ends. It's like wandering through Home Depot looking for jewelry. It's like scanning the ocean for a piece of debris. It's like walking through a graveyard looking for life. What we need, what we need is some direction. We need someone to tell us where to look. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the things we're looking for. Self-worth, love, contentment, strength, these are all good things. We're looking for the right things. We're just looking in the wrong places. So let's go to the end of the story, Luke chapter 24, verse 6. The angel said, He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. He's not here, the angel said. This is a place of death. This is a place where dreams die. This is a place where relationships cease. You're looking in the wrong place. Remember how it was back in Galilee, the angel says, when, when he was alive and the joy and the purpose and the meaning that you had? Remember how he said he would give his life as a ransom for many? Remember how he promised to rise again? so that all who believed in him would also rise and live forever. Remember that. Don't look for the living among the dead. He's not here. 
But you know, it helps us understand why we go to graveyards, why we bring flowers, why we stand beside grave sites and wonder like these women do. It's because something inside us tells us that there's more to life than this, that there's life beyond the grave, that we were meant to live and not to die, that this person we knew and loved who was so valuable and precious to us and to the world can't just be gone forever, ceasing to exist. So as crazy as it sounds, we go to graveyards looking for life. And you know what we should? That's natural. That's human. Death is not natural. Death is an invasion. It's a robbery of life, of what God created us for. And so we go there looking for life. Don't look for the living among the dead, the angel said. He's not here. Now, did you catch that? He's not here. The angel doesn't point them to a place. The angel points them to a person, to Jesus. If it's life you're looking for, don't go poking around a graveyard or any place for that matter. Life isn't found in the right school or the right neighborhood or the right club, or the right bed, or the right job, or the right mutual fund, or the right retirement community. Life isn't found in any place. It's found in a person, a person named Jesus. It's found in a right relationship with the God who made you, made you in his image to live and not to die, a God who sent his son Jesus to show you what life could look like and who could lead you into new and eternal life. I mean, think about it for a moment. If, if you want to live a certain kind of life, let's say you want to be an artist or a scientist or a soldier or a stockbroker or a mother or whatever it is, if you want to live a certain kind of a life, it's not enough just to want that kind of life, not enough just to read about that kind of life or even train for that kind of life. You need to find someone who's lived that life well, someone who can show you how it's done, someone who has seized all the opportunities of that life, Someone who's faced all the challenges of that life. Someone who can guide you through those same pitfalls and lift you up when you stumble and fall. Someone you hope to be like someday. Well, when it comes to life itself, Jesus is that someone. In fact, the only one who can really show us how to live life that is truly life. And you know why? Well, first of all, because he lived. He lived the most beautiful influential life that has ever been lived. You won't find many people who will argue with that point. He lived. Secondly, he died. He died the worst imaginable kind of death. Every kind of evil and injustice that can be inflicted on a human being, Jesus suffered and experienced in himself. He lived, he died, he rose. The only human being ever to have claimed to and given evidence for conquering death. Now, whether you're prepared to believe that or not now, understand that even the most skeptical historian will acknowledge something happened back there that has never fully been explained. He lived, he died, he rose, and then, by many accounts, he lives today. He, he, he changes people's lives. He's changing the world one person at a time. And so if it's life you're looking for, it's not a matter of looking in the right place, but looking to the right person. Jesus Christ, who dared to call himself the way, the truth, and the life, and gave credible evidence to support that claim. He can show us what life was meant to be like. 
He can forgive us for our failures, and he can free us to become the people we were meant to be. Now, I spoke earlier about my struggle with the deadly sin of pride, which often masquerades as self-esteem and self-worth. Now, in, in retrospect, I'm kind of glad that article, that first article came with, with, without a picture and some disappointment to it. The, the Lord used that little experience just to remind me and to teach me how foolish it is to look for a sense of worth in my performance, to measure my value as a human being by what other people are thinking of me. In fact, as it turned out, I got another article published sometime later, and this one did come out with a picture, and when I saw it, I was really disappointed. <laughs> I thought I looked way better than that. So I was unhappy again. But this time I was able just to laugh it off and move on. Now, I won't pretend that I don't still struggle with pride and ego and self-reliance and those sorts of things. I did manage to let you know I'm running in the marathon, so, you know, <laughs> that's still going on in there. But little by little, day by day, the Lord is liberating me from that the foolishness of measuring my worth by my performance or what other people say about me. Because I've come to understand that in Christ, I am loved just as I am. In Christ, I'm forgiven for all my foolish failures and sins, hurtful sins. And in Christ, I am free now to begin becoming the person he created me to be, my true and best self. Now, I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way, and someday I'll get there. And you know what? That's life. That's living life to the full. But don't take my word for it. Let's hear again from some of the folks that we heard from earlier in our service. What we've done is invited the person from each of the campuses we heard from earlier to come back and tell their story live in their particular campus. So we're going to return you all to your own campus at this point, allow you to hear that final story, and then have your campus pastor wrap things up. So we'll return to our own campuses at this point, and uh, it's been good to be together so far today. So here in Lexington, would you welcome to the platform Marissa as she comes to tell us the rest of her story. So as I said in my video, I tried many ways to fill the void that I felt within me. Parties, becoming a vegetarian, travel, and even volunteer work. All of these things filled a part of me but left me longing for more. Then about 18 months ago, my boyfriend, who was only a friend at the time, brought me to a service at Grace Chapel. I heard a message of a loving God with a practical application to my life. In all my years of church-going childhood, I had never heard sermons like this before. In my head, my conversation with myself was, this is relevant, the pastor understands me, and that's in the Bible. Plus, hearing the entire church sing worship music with catchy beats and meaningful lyrics and tingles up my spine. I enjoyed it all so much, I went back the next week. And that was the first time I consciously woke up on a Sunday morning and went to church all by myself for me and for God. Soon, Sunday morning worship became something I look forward to. I wanted to be closer to God. I liked this relationship we were forming. And after three months, my boyfriend encouraged me to try the Alpha course here in Lexington. 
No pressure, simply handed me a pamphlet, said he learned a lot when he first had questions about Christianity. I love learning, so I went. Many of my skeptical questions about the Bible, of which I had never really read before, were answered. I learned it's okay to have questions and doubts at times. And while I still had not committed myself to Jesus, I felt softened to the idea that I could trust what the Bible had to say as truth. One service last April, we began singing Amazing Grace, and it all hit me at once. I teared up and I said the words, Jesus, I believe you are my Lord and Savior. And an overwhelming sense of love and warmth came over me. I knew in my heart that I wanted to devote my life to being a Christian, a Christ follower. Now I had someone to emulate, my role model, that would help me to be a role model to my family, my friends, and my little. He is the one who could fill the void I felt inside that could not be filled by material things and experiences. And I've never looked back. Life being a Christ follower has filled me with peace, calm, happiness, warmth, and incredible amounts of joy. Most importantly, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. There's a song that captures my story. One of the lines goes, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. And through all my years of wandering and being a stranger, God was waiting for me. And now I have come home. Thanks, Marissa. So here we are in church this morning, one of the many places we go in life. And I don't know what brought you here. Maybe you're in church every Sunday. It's a part of your life. Maybe you're here as part of the Easter tradition. Maybe you're here because someone invited you. Maybe you're here to make your mom happy. I don't know what it is, but you're here. <laughs> but chances are you're, you're looking for something. Purpose, meaning, hope, comfort, perspective, joy truth is we're all looking for something. We're looking for life. The church isn't a bad place to come, but in the end, it's not about any place. It's about a person. It's about a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you would like to begin or renew a relationship with Christ, you can do that today or any time by praying a simple prayer like the one Marissa mentioned, asking Christ to come into your life to forgive you for your sins and failures, and to lead you into new, better, eternal life. Simple prayer. We'll, we'll pray that prayer in just a moment, in fact. Now, maybe you're not quite ready to do that. You're still looking around, still searching, still trying to figure out who this Jesus is. That's okay. That's good. Keep looking. Keep searching. We were made to search. Just don't give up. Come back to church. Find a church near you and learn some more. Get a Bible, read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have racks of them in the, in the lobby. Take one with you uh, if you don't have one at home. Or take the Alpha course that Marissa suggested. It's a great way to explore faith, ask questions. It's fun, it's safe. It starts this week and next in Wilmington and Lexington. Maybe you're already a follower of Christ, but you've realized that you've been seduced by one of these seven sins. You've been wasting some time and energy and money chasing something you really want, but you realize it's taking you down the wrong road. Let this Easter Sunday be a new beginning for you as you commit yourself afresh to following Christ into new and better life. Wherever you are on your journey, whatever it is you're looking for, let me direct you this morning to Jesus Christ, 
who called himself the resurrection and the life. Let's bow and pray for a moment. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here this morning to hear and consider again this remarkable news. He's not here. He's risen. Lord, this morning, many of us for the first time or maybe the hundredth time want to thank you again for creating us and loving us just as we are. We thank you for sending your son into this world to show us what life can be like. We thank you for his death on the cross as the payment for all our sins and failures. And we thank you for his victory over death and the invitation to follow him into new and eternal life. May we believe and live and share this message fully and freely. In Jesus' name, amen.